everyone. My name is not Justin, and I'm feeling fine. Uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthews. I have been one of the ministers here for about six or seven days. So uh, if it's your first week with us, me too, pretty much. But I'm feeling confident that we're going to have a good morning. And uh, if you are one of the regulars before we start, I really would like to say uh, just a big thank you for waiting for us to uh, get here and arrive to start working here. Um, in the months between Mike leaving and, and us starting, you've given me the chance to finish well uh, and to set up the ministry I was involved with before um, for a bright future rather than abandoning it at a time of potential vulnerability. So thank you. Uh, you guys have honoured me before you knew me, so I'm grateful. And I'm especially grateful to the staff team as well who may have picked up any slack uh, in the meantime. Um, I'm getting to know them. They're a wonderful bunch of people. It's a wonderful passage we have before us today. Let me pray, then we're going to get straight to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we want to thank you for uh, your scriptures. We thank you that they speak. We thank you that they speak into our lives. And uh, we want to be people who listen, not just with our ears, but with our hearts as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. Talk is cheap. That's what they say, isn't it? Talk is cheap. You would have heard someone say that, I'm sure. In the 1980s, Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, he uh, called his first solo album, Talk is Cheap. And then a decade or so later, uh, Madonna in her uh, Confessions on the Dance Floor record said these words, don't explain yourself because talk is cheap. There's more important things than hearing you speak. And then just a few years ago, Miley Cyrus, she says this, it's deep, so be prepared, right? You know what they say, where there's a will, there's a way. Lies are free, talk is cheap. So depending on your vintage, there's basically a musical icon who agrees that talk is cheap. Now I reckon we know this uh, intrinsically ourselves in our daily lives. Uh, I realise that July um, this year is about the World Cup uh, football, but for me July is always about the Tour de France and I love the bikes. And I was out cycling one morning about 6.30 when a mad bloke in a ute raced past me and he was getting cranky and waving his arms wildly. Now I think it had something to do with me cycling on the road because blokes in utes always want cyclists to ride on the footpath, even though that's against the law. But see, I think the real giveaway is in that word footpath. It's a path for feet. And bikes have got wheels, so they should be on the road. Now, when the bloke in the ute got caught by a red light, I thought, I really should go and explain that to him. <laughs> now, I, uh, I am not a confrontationalist. I don't like fights, generally. And it did occur to me that I had chosen the oddest time to pick one. Wearing skin-tight bike clothes is not the time to scold an angry plumber in a one-ton ute. I'm there wearing a, basically a ballerina's leotard. My bike is basically wearing me for protection. But I suggested to this guy that, uh, before the lights turned green, that as I had wheels, I had a place on the road too, not on the footpath. But he sped off, still swearing, still waving his arms madly because my talk is cheap. You know, it occurred to me though that it really depends on who's doing the talking, doesn't it? I mean, people who are nearing in on 100 years of age, they hold out, don't they? So they can get a letter from the Queen. I mean, clearly her talk is not cheap. It's worth, I mean, really delaying death for. Now, what if we could hear God talk? Wouldn't that be even better than hearing from the Queen? 
Well, Psalm 19 tells us that God speaks and that's what we're going to be looking at today. In between the great term, uh, last term, in the Old Testament book of Daniel and uh, what's shaping up to be a great term this coming term in the New Testament book of Galatians, we've got these precious little opportunities to consider the Psalms. So let's have a look at what Psalm 19 says to us today. And I do hope you've got your Bibles open there in front of you. Because the first thing that Psalm 19 tells us is that God speaks to us through creation. He speaks through the world that he has made. Have a look at Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day to day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. You hear God speak in creation is what he's saying. When you look up at the heavens, that is the skies, and you see the sun day by day, and you see the moon and the stars by night, you just see something of God's glory and his creativity and his knowledge. You see his wisdom. You see his unfathomable majesty in action. You see his power in operation. Oh, the skies speak. But they speak on God's behalf. Did you notice, have a look at those verses again, in those first few verses, it actually says, you don't so much see God's power, you don't see his majesty, you hear it. The skies declare, they proclaim, they pour forth speech. Their voice is heard in every language because their voice goes out in all the earth. I was a uh, youth minister before coming here and uh, I've led on many, many camps and uh, this time of year at my old church we have this camp called Tree Stump. Silly name, good camp for our year seven to nines. And it, it was held down in Nowra, three hours south of Sydney. And uh, you know, I would do the rounds at night time, uh, just checking that all the kids were okay, that their cabins weren't too chaotic, you know, that lights were out, all that sort of thing. And I remember one year walking past the year seven boys cabin and I overheard one of them say with great authority, you know, you use your brain more when you sleep than in the day. And I just thought about that. And I thought about the year seven boys. I thought, I think that's about right, actually. <laughs> and I was just about to walk along to the next one when I looked up at the night sky, three hours south of Sydney. And I thought, oh, the next one, they can wait. You know, the whole bus ride is worth it for that one night sky. Shouting at us, there is wisdom. There is power. And it's from God. You know, when uh, King David, King of Israel, the Old Testament people of God, when he wrote this psalm about 1,000 years before the coming of Jesus, and when he thought about the way the sun moved across the sky in verses 6 to 8, he said, you know, it's like a bridegroom leaving his home to get married. Or it's like a champion runner running his race. It's electricity kind of pulsing through his veins. The wisdom and glory of God that you see in creation is something positive. It's something exciting. It's something worth rejoicing in and celebrating about it. It's not just some random event. You know, the sun's heat from which nothing is hidden, it speaks to us about how marvellously good God is. And he's talking to us all the time by his creation and he's saying, 
I am powerful and I'm wise and I'm creative and I am here. I'm not sure what you think about this. Um, my sense, though, is that the face of new atheism, you know what I'm talking about, new atheism, has sort of uh, changed or softened in recent years. Uh, last year, uh, there's a, the world's most popular, apparently, popular philosopher. His name is Alain de Botton. Uh, I like saying that, Alain de Botton. He's uh, an English guy with a French name. He's described as the world's most popular philosopher. And I was going to put a picture of him up here on the screen. But uh, he's this pasty white guy who's bald. And I just thought, you know, one's enough really, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, he, uh, he launched this thing called Atheism 2.0, Religion for Atheists. And he was even going to build a million pound temple for atheists in London. Because he acknowledged that religion has made some positive contributions to society. And really this was in response to um, just the, the aggression and the open hostility of some of the earlier New Atheists, like Richard Dawkins who wrote The God Delusion uh, and Christopher Hitchens who wrote the book God is Not Great. Um, those earlier New Atheists, they kind of set up Christianity and science, Christianity and philosophy as mutually exclusive enemies, whereas I think they're really good friends. But just because atheism 2.0 is nicer, you know, I don't mind religion, I just don't believe in God, it doesn't mean the arguments are less dangerous, so we are going to have to think about it. But either way, new atheists, or new new atheists, they just don't understand what King David knew 3,000 years ago. Whereas the ancient people might have thought the sun and the moon and the stars were things to be worshipped. Modern atheism says the world and the stars and the sun are just neutral really. I mean, they happen by chance and they don't show us anything. Life isn't governed by a wise creator. And I think I worked out why they don't get it. It's because they all live in Britain and they only ever see the sun for about five days a year. I mean, if they sat out at night, right, like some of our young people did this week in Broken Hill and they had a look at the night sky, or if they sat out the back there in between sets, don't you reckon they'd have a better chance of getting it? It's not neutral. Creation is not accidental. It's not by chance. King David says the sun's heat from which nothing is hidden, and that's true even in Britain, nothing is hidden. It speaks to us about how marvellously wise the great creator God is. And he is talking to us all the time by the world that he has made. And that talk, my friends, is not cheap. You could, of course, just stare at the sun for a long time and, and only end up blind, though. You could learn something about God through his creation, but you can't really know him, um, even if you end up getting your retinas burnt out. I mean, if you look at the heavens, can you actually know God? Or know what he wants for your life from just seeing the sun cross the sky. Don't you think we need something else? We need a conversation. We need something else like his word. So if firstly God speaks to us through creation, he secondly speaks about us and to us through his word in the scriptures. And King David knows this is true. And so in verses 7 to 11, that's where he turns. Have a look verse 7. 
He says, the word of the Lord is perfect. And in fact, you just have to read down those verses to hear him say it. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, verse 7. Or verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Or verse 9, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than much pure gold. The word of the Lord, his laws, his statutes, his commands, his precepts, his ordinances is perfect. And it's perfect for life. It tells us what God wants from us and what he wants for us and our lives. It gives us wisdom to live life well. Have a look at verse 7. It even says the law of the Lord revives the soul. You know, it's uh, kind of unfashionable to be people of the book these days. A a lot of folks will say, you know, it's just a a bunch of nice old sayings or a collection of fables that kind of explain the, the start of the Jewish race or the Christian faith. But the word of God revives the soul. You know, technology can't revive the soul. Not even medicine can revive the soul. How good is that word of the Lord? Still in verse 7, the word of God, it says, is trustworthy and it makes wise the simple. The simple in Bible language are not stupid people. The simple are the inexperienced. Younger people, those who have not lived so long. See, if you haven't lived a long life yet, that's many of us, You can still be wise if you live according to the word of God because the word of God gives wisdom to the young. Verse 8, have a look, it gives joy to the heart. It gives direction or light to the eyes. Now this is why the word of the Lord is perfect. Because of what it brings to us soulless, inexperienced, directionless and depressed people. It revives the soul. It gives wisdom to the simple. And joy to the heart and direction to life, and warning to those in peril, and reward to those with obedient faith. The law of the Lord is perfect. Don't you think it's uh, funny how we respond to um, that word law and all its synonyms, precepts, commands, statutes, you know, I think we hear that word law and we think of the judge in the courtroom who's ready to put us away. Or we think of the cold black and white of legislation which is boring at best and enslaving at worst. Or we think of the policeman who's just booked us for going nine kilometres over the speed limit rather than catching the real criminals out there. But the ancient Israelites, you see, they understood law to mean the gentle instruction of a heavenly father God and it was the most wonderful thing because the law of the Lord meant that God speaks the God of David speaks to his people and without that how would they ever know him you know the gods of that day couldn't speak they were mute they were dumb they were silent but Israel had a God who spoke you think about the gods and the idols of this age career, comfort, cash, lifestyle, even health and relationships if they become idols, they still don't speak. 
And if they do, they tell lies or they make promises which they just can't keep. But God speaks in his law and it is perfect. I'll tell you why else we need the word of God as well as his creation. Something that not even King David knew in detail when he wrote this song. Now we need the word of God because in these last days, Hebrews chapter 1, in these last days God has spoken to us by his Son. In the past it says God spoke through the prophets many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. He speaks through his creation, he has spoken through the prophets and poets in the Old Testament, but in these last days he speaks by his Son. You know, Jesus remains God's ultimate way of speaking to humanity. And God speaks of his great connection with humanity through the birth and the life of his Son. He speaks of his great salvation plan to rescue us from our sin and its attached judgment through the death of his Son. He speaks of his great triumph over our oldest enemy, death, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he speaks into our world through the words of his son. You know, you open up the Gospel of Mark, a great place to go to if you're a new Christian or interested in Christianity. You know, the very first thing Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. In other words, it is time for you to turn back to God through me. Wow. I think, Jesus, you got my attention. You know the second thing he says? He says, come, follow me. And he says it to four professional fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and I'm stupid and I always make the mistake of thinking of these guys as recreational anglers, you know, gentle, hopeful, grandfatherly, perhaps just casually throwing in a line, hoping for a bite. But these guys are sweaty, hairy, rough as guts, working class fishermen. They're not used to taking rubbish from anyone. They're the kind of guys who drive utes and swear at cyclists. And Jesus says, come follow me. And they drop their nets right at once. Because his talk is not cheap. God speaks through his word, the Bible, and his word is perfect and precious. And through it, he has finally and ultimately spoken through his son. I reckon a number of you guys would have uh, hosted a kiddie's birthday party recently or um, attended a kiddie's birthday party recently. And um, I've attended lots of them. And I think about an hour and a half is the perfect amount of time for a kiddie's birthday party, much beyond that. And it becomes like water torture, a war of attrition, which adults always lose. But... Um, Often at kiddies' birthday parties, they do the whole kind of treasure hunt thing, like an Easter egg hunt, I guess. Uh, and it's, it's funny because the ground will be just covered in chocolates with the shiny foil paper. I mean, you can see them from miles away, but the little guys can't see them at all, can they? I mean, you've really got to say to them, we're looking for little things like this. And then you've almost got to go and say, oh, look, what's this right here? They just won't see them otherwise. Uh, if left to themselves, their search would be fruitless. They're just inadequate. You know, the solution or the help has got to come from outside them. And uh, you get the sense that King David has just worked this out 
from listening to God's creation speak and then listening to God speak through his word. So thirdly for today, God's speech reveals not only God's greatest greatness, but also our weakness and frailty. God's greatness, but also our weakness. And you see that in his response in verses 12 to 14. Have a look where to paraphrase David says, God, you are faultless, but I'm not. Forgive me my hidden faults. Forgive me my blatant faults. Keep the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart pleasing to you. Because when he hears the voice of God in creation and perhaps even more so in his word, he realizes that God knows everything. He works out that wisdom for life doesn't come from within himself. He's worked out that he's a small and faulty man in the vast expanse of God's work in creation. He knows that God's word exposes his errors, but there are just things that he does wrong that don't even show up on his register. He realises that even as a king, he doesn't determine what's right and wrong in life. God determines what's right and wrong in life through his perfect and precious word. And isn't that true for us also? Without the wisdom of God speaking into our lives, we're just like those little kids, always looking but not finding. So we trust in God, great Lord, steady rock, and a kind redeemer. Righto, folks, some things to do, I think. Um, number one, maybe a change in thinking is required. You want wisdom for life, you want joy for the heart, you want light for the eyes, you want to revive the soul then we've got to remember that it doesn't come from within us. Psalm 19 shows us that hidden faults and willful sins are the things that lie within us. What a relief. What an absolute relief that you and I don't have to have all the answers. Guidance comes from the one who created the night sky as different as the day sky. The one who set the planets into their orbit the one who gave us his perfect word, the one who gave us his perfect son. And uh, number two, if that's true, and it's true that God speaks through his world and through his word, then we need to be people who are listening. So go on a bushwalk. I'm serious, you go. And then open up your Bible. Uh, next time you're at the zoo with the kids or the grandkids, if you can, look at the giraffe. I mean, look at it. Look at the way it looks. You watch the way it walks. It'll tell you something about God. It really will. You can let me know what you discover. If you're one of those devils in a pink cap just here, how about just once trading in the thrashing and the pink cap for a snorkel and just slowly drift your way to Shelly Beach? And have a look at the extraordinary world underwater that proclaims the majesty of God. Or tonight, if you have the time, sit outside and look up at the night sky and see how it declares the glory of God. And then tomorrow morning, open up your Bibles and hear how it proclaims the power and the majesty and the suffering and the extraordinary love of the Lord Jesus. 
I'm uh, really am just so excited to be here and I'm uh, really delighted to be involved in small groups here at St Matthews because I just think they have such great potential for Christian growth. I I'd love our small groups to be um, fun and enjoyable environments, something that you really look forward to going along to every week. Uh, places that are characterised by warmth and where the sound of laughter is often heard and places where we pray and encourage each other with great earnestness and places where we also challenge one another in life with the words of scripture. Do you notice I said small groups have great potential for Christian growth? I say potential because it's not automatic, is it? They could just be a place where we share Christian opinions, where we share things we may have heard from the previous church we went to, or the stuff we downloaded from our favourite megachurch preacher. They can just be places where we share Christian opinion, even if we have our Bibles open. We don't master the Word, brothers and sisters. The Word masters us. So let us be Christians who read our Bibles together or alone, wherever, whenever that happens, not as self-appointed experts, but as humble learners. And even if you're not a Christian here this morning, let me encourage you to open up the Gospel of Mark and drop in on God's final message to humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course you want to put whatever you read into practice. Talk is cheap sometimes not if it's from the one who created the skies in their vast array which themselves declare his greatness and, and not if it's the one who gives us his perfect word Charles Haddon Spurgeon not sure if you know of him not sure if you're a fan of his he was the greatest English preacher of the 19th century he was a big man full of life full of love of the Lord uh, prone to depression as well but he said this, You are wise if you read both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and say, My father wrote them both. God speaks through them both. The question is, are we listening? With our eyes, with our ears, with our hearts and with our lives. I'm going to pray that we as a people will be people just like that. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, all that you do. We thank you for the extraordinary message that you proclaim in your creation, your glory, your majesty, your power, your wisdom, your creativity. And Lord, we also thank you for the great gift of your scriptures, perfect, reviving the soul, giving light to the eyes, joy to the heart. And Lord, we want to be people who listen to what you say, both in creation and in your word. People who listen with our eyes and our ears, but also with our hearts and our lives, that we might be changed to become more like the Lord Jesus. In his great name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing in response. We know and believe these things.